Hey. Well, we have a special announcement today. Our portrait, Portraits of Grace uh, Bible study is going to start this Wednesday as our spring Bible study uh, in the study group right in here at 7 o'clock on Wednesdays. And that'll go 10 weeks. And we're going to be talking about 10 Bible characters uh, who experienced God at work. Uh, also, right after this service today, as Scott mentioned, we have a special mission strip meeting. Yeah, there's no greater thing in life than living out the purpose for which you've been created. The Peace Plan helps us as a local church uh, to connect with other local churches around the world and to help them live out God's purpose for their lives. And so we have three uh, future trips in the works. This summer, we have a peace trip to the Philippines. And then in October, a peace trip to Ukraine. Uh, and then early next year, a peace trip to uh, the Republic of Congo, where we are the international partner church uh, for a peace plan for the whole nation. And there are already hundreds of churches uh, that are involved over in Congo. And if you'd like to know more about these opportunities or about our mission trips in general, I hope you'll stay for that meeting, and they're going to have a great time. It'll be right down the hall this direction. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about serving our community, and many of the small groups uh, are planning special community projects for next weekend, and I'm excited to hear how we as a served church are serving God by serving others. Now, that two weeks from today is Friend Day, and I hope you'll invite somebody to be your friend on this special day. We are talking about serving our neighbors this morning, and let's go to James chapter 2 for our text, James chapter 2, and as you turn there, go there in your Bible app, uh, we are going to be reading the first nine verses this morning in James chapter 2. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool, are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which you're called? If you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons or you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Uh, as you turn uh, to this passage and you begin to read through it, you understand uh, that Jesus has already summed up the Old Testament in what we often call the great commandment. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And, and to love your neighbor as yourself means to love as if you were in their place or situation. It means to put yourself in the other person's shoes and then to treat the person like it's you. And there are many New Testament passages 
that deal with the treatment of others. And James 2 is one of these passages that breaks down the barriers that stop us from loving our neighbors as ourselves. And uh, this is a process, the whole breaking down uh, of these barriers that hold us back. And and so today we're going to be talking about uh, how do we serve our neighbors in a biblical, Christ-like way. And the notes are in your bulletin, and they're also on the YouVersion app if you want to follow along there. Let's start by talking about neighboring up. Neighboring up. Uh, The me I want to be. As you see the first four verses of this passage, uh, you understand that that there's this picture uh, of an assembly, and two people have showed up to the assembly. One has showed up in wealthy clothes with a a really nice ring on, and another one has showed up to the assembly uh, with vile raiment, looks very poor, and it says, listen, if, if you judge these people by their appearances, you have been a poor neighbor. You have judged in an unrighteous way. And yet, uh, the natural bent toward humanity is to neighbor up, um, to love our neighbors uh, so that we can get something in return. And if we love our neighbors just to get something back or to move up in societal status, we're actually committing sin against God because we have placed boundaries around our neighboring. And, and this happens to us subliminally. Uh, we, we may not even do it on purpose. We may not, may not even know we're doing it. It is part of the mindset of a natural man to seek approval and to gain things from those around us. Uh, you look around every day at the people around you And you will see people who are using other people to get a little higher. They may have genuine friendships. They may even like each other. But they're using each other to advance a little bit. And Christians are just as susceptible to this as non-Christians. Somebody moves into your neighborhood. Wow, my new neighbor, uh, they have some fancy toys over there. And, uh, you know, I I guess I better go be friendly because... uh, Never know, he might offer to let me use his jet skis this summer, right? And so uh, we want to be friendly, we want a genuine friendship, but if we get something out of it, that's okay too, right? Uh, That new girl at work looks like she's got potential, and I better put on my friendly face and go recruit her to my way of thinking before the other people uh, in the office get to her and show her their ways, right? It's kind of a political thing that we sometimes have. And and so it's interesting that the context of what James is referencing here is actually a church service. If you notice this, it says, uh, if they're come to your assembly, and that's what church services were called in the New Testament. So even at church, it's natural for us to neighbor up. Uh, 22 years ago now, Amy and I uh, took over a church plant in the north end of Boise, and uh, back in those days uh, when we were in that building, there were six people who voted us in, and soon we organized as a church, and, and then we moved from the north end of Boise down into Garden City in a storefront, and we would go out uh, every Saturday, and we'd pass out invites in the community to the church services. And then on Sunday morning, uh, we'd go grab some donuts, and we'd go to the storefront early, 
make sure everything was just right, and then we wait for people to show up. And uh, I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't excited uh, when a new model minivan would drive into the parking lot, right, with a, with a sharp-looking family. And, and so you say, well, were you more excited if a new minivan showed up than an old clunker minivan? Yeah, I probably was. Just to be honest, probably more excited about that. But at that point, I would have been excited if a rickshaw had showed up, uh, as long as it had people in it, <laughs> you know, uh, because we just wanted people to come. But we have all prejudged people by their appearances. It's natural. We do it. And, and James is helping us to know that respecting people uh, based on appearance, it may be natural, but it's not godly. It's not an act of faith. There is a partiality in neighboring up by evaluating things through the lens of the me I want to be. How can I be helped? How can I be advanced? Uh, how can this person add to my life? How can I leverage this person to move to my agenda, right? And when we see neighboring through the lens of me, then we're always going to neighbor up because we're looking to leverage uh, what's good for me. And in fact, this is the way a lot of people uh, in the modern era choose uh, churches that they're going to go to. Uh, which church is going to be best for my needs and my family and uh, the ministries that will help me most? Uh, but back in the New Testament, it, it was a partnership. It was a body, and it still is today. And, and so neighboring up is obviously not a godly thing. But, but on the other side of neighboring up, on the reverse of this, is neighboring down. And, and that's the me I don't want to be. Okay, so neighboring down. Uh, here came this guy into the assembly, and he was poor and he had vile raiment. And uh, they said, listen, you know, why don't you go over there? And if we have any more seats, we'll let you know. Okay? Or better yet, hey, see over there where all the sandals are? You can go sit over there. Because uh, in, in the days that they lived, they all walked everywhere they went. And they had dirty feet. And when they got to a place, they would take their sandals off. And they'd wash their feet and go into the building. And uh, there is still a lot of countries in the world where when you get to church, you don't wear your shoes into church, right? So like in India, uh, before you walk into a church or, or a house, you take your shoes off and leave them on the porch. And so I used to bring uh, church shoes to India. Now I just wear my Crocs. Because once I get in church, I don't have shoes anyway. Um, so you leave your Crocs out there and you go in and have church. And, and now they're saying, listen, you, you, you came today, and, and uh, yeah, it's great to see you. You go sit over there. Yeah, because humans naturally respond more positively to someone they think that offers help than they do to someone who apparently needs help. And it's pretty easy to figure out, right? And, and we don't have to say it out loud. We may not even know it. And yet, uh, even if we disguise it by some type of self-justification, what we really think is I'm better than the person who needs help. That's what we really think. I'm better than the person who needs help. And if I refuse to offer help to people, 
that I ultimately feel have less value than myself. For whatever reason, I have missed the whole point of God's law. Uh, I've missed everything about what God's trying to tell me. If you look down at verse number 8, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures. Now, this wasn't the royal law of, a, of an earthly king or the Roman government. This is the royal law of God, king of kings. And he, God says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the right thing to do. But he goes on in verse 9 and says, but if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. And so neighboring down is just as wrong as neighboring up. And it's an inward judgment to not serve another human being based upon preconceived notions. And it can happen to any of us. It really can because as humans, psychologists tell us that when you meet somebody for the first time, uh, or even if you haven't met them yet, but you're about to meet them, you make a judgment uh, normally within six seconds on whether or not you're going to like them or not. Um, and, and it's a preconceived notion. It's a bias. And, and then uh, over time, you either try to confirm your bias or you uh, are able to let your bias be put aside and actually get to know them, you're like, wow, this guy's not at all like I thought he was going to be, right? Uh, this lady, I thought she was going to be this way, and she turned out to be this way. Now, why do we say that? Because we have preconceived notions. We all do. Uh, it's part of who we are. Uh, and a lot of people, when they meet me for the first time, they haven't met my wife yet, and she's the more friendly side, Right? So they're like, well, when I first saw him, you know, I thought, man, he's not a very friendly guy. But then when I met his wife, I like, oh, yeah, now I get it. Uh, he's the quiet one, and sh she's not loud, but she's friendly, right? Um, so I had to I almost back myself into a corner there. Thanks, guys, for helping me out on that one. Um, but we, we sometimes have these biases that we don't even know we have. And as a result, we treat people less than the way God wants us to. This is the neighboring down thing. Uh, this is when we uh, intrinsically and inside, we choose how we're going to neighbor based upon uh, what causes the less stress to my system, right? Uh, which one is going to keep me in the comfort zone the most? And uh, that's how we neighbor in. As a church, we don't want to be known as a church that uses people for what we can get from them and then cast them away. We don't want to be known as a church that holds back on meeting legitimate community needs because there's no apparent benefit to be gained from doing it. But we can be either of those things very easily because a church is not a building a church is not a corporation. A church is not uh, some entity that's referenced to uh, just in this, this way as a group. A church is uh, people. That's all it is. And as people, we are naturally respecters of persons. Uh, we may not want to be, but we naturally are. And, and so God 
in this passage is giving us a way to grow into neighboring the right way. Not neighboring up, not neighboring down. Uh, but before we get to the answer, we have to deal with neighboring reality. Neighboring reality, the me that I am. Okay, so uh, there's one part of neighboring, it's like, uh, I want to be his friend because it's going to leverage me up. That's the me that I want to be. Uh, I don't want to be his friend because it's going to knock me down. It's the me I don't want to be. And now there's this reality thing, the me that I actually am. Verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Now, even though we know this verse is true, and even though we understand it, it's what uh, human guilt is all about, we don't really like this one. Now, this is tough for us. Because as you sit there this morning, if I told you uh, that you're just as much of a lawbreaker as somebody who's in the state pen, because you went 58 and a 55 this week, you would not like me, right? But I'm going to tell you that. Because, listen to me, if the law is right here, if this is the law, as soon as I go over it, I'm a lawbreaker. And it doesn't matter how many times I go over it. That's what the whole point is. God says that you could keep the whole thing, but if you offend one time in one way, you broke the whole thing. You broke the barrier. Kind of like rodeo, right? You broke the barrier. Apparently, not a lot of rodeo fans in here. You guys know broke the barrier? Have you ever been to the Caldwell Night Rodeo? Snake River Stampede? National Finals Rodeo on TV? Nothing? Okay, well, look it up. You could see it on YouTube, what it means to break the barrier. Um, but we break the barrier. It only takes one lie to be a liar. That's it. It only takes... Stealing a piece of bubble gum at the Ben Franklin in Springfield, Missouri in 1976 on Kearney Street and, and having then your mom making you go back in and tell the manager one time to be a thief. That was a little close to home. <laughs> kind, of, kind of set me back in my mind there. Four-year-old boy, she made me march in the store and tap the manager and he looked down, like way down. <laughs> There's this little gem. You got too much of a chuckle out of it. Uh, careful. Uh, and he looked down, and there's this little kid. I took a bubble gum. And uh, I, I don't remember what happened. I just remember, I don't ever want to do this again. But I was a thief. Right? I'm a four-year-old, and I'm a thief already. And just as much as the guy who'd done Grand Theft Auto. Not the game, the actual Grand Theft Auto. I'm just as much of a thief as that guy. And, and this verse breaks us down and tells us that we all have the human disease of sin. And if I'm going to view myself in truth, I have to realize that I am as guilty as any other person. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Uh, there's no such category as uh, in God's economy, there's no such a cat category as more guilty, right? There's either not guilty or guilty. That's it. You know, wait, wait, God, hold on. I'm less guilty. 
right? I'm less guilty than that guy. Uh, he's more guilty. And God says, no, there's just guilty and not guilty. And it, so it doesn't matter how we appear on the outside. We all need Jesus on the inside. The guy on the Range Rover needs Jesus just as much as the guy on the Ford Pinto needs Jesus. You remember the Ford Pinto? Anybody ever own a Ford Pinto? You sit right on the gas tank. You're sitting on a bomb, actually. Um, the Ford Pinto. Uh, the woman with the Louis Vuitton handbag needs Jesus just as much as the woman with the Walmart handbag needs Jesus. Right? And I don't know how women do it. They're like 500 feet away from another woman. Like, whoa. She's got a Hansel and Gretel Mendel handbag. They're like, whoa, whoa. okay. I don't even know what that is. And uh, I can't believe she's got a, a, a Louis Page or whatever. I don't, I don't even know. It's Louis Vuitton. There's some other, there's a woman who died and her handbags are apparently really good. Somebody help me. Kate Spade, that's it. I knew somebody would know. And I knew it wouldn't be a man. <laughs> right? So she's got a Kate Spade. Like, she has a shovel? And a, no, the handbag. Stupid. Um, it, but the truth is, it doesn't matter what kind of handbag you have, you need Jesus. Uh, the child who lives in a hut in a third world country needs Jesus just as much as the child who lives in a house with central heat and air and all the latest electronic gadgets needs Jesus. And the belittled, uncoordinated teen needs Jesus just as much as the popular, connected, athletic teen needs Jesus. We all equally and desperately need Jesus. And it's only in this reality that I could love someone as myself. If I don't live in this reality, I will always neighbor up or neighbor down. And I'll choose to be friendly based on the expectation or based on the outcome. Instead of choosing to be friendly and allowing God to control outcomes. Now, the times when we truly love a neighbor as self are the times when we are most like Jesus. And Jesus tells this parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, and maybe you remember this one. Uh, a traveler is headed from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way, a, a band of thieves robs him and beats him up and leaves him for dead. And a, a priest happened to go that way, but did nothing to help. Uh, the Levite passes by, does nothing to help. And, and then a Samaritan came by. And Samaritans were societal outcasts uh, who lived among the Jews. They were what you might call disregarded neighbors. They're, they're the people uh, who sat on the streets and nobody even recognized them or talked to them when they walked by. Right? They were just kind of there. They became part of the scenery. They were the me's that Jews didn't want to be. And yet Jesus profoundly introduces a Samaritan as the one who kneels by the man, gently binds his wounds, takes him to a place to find care. But why did the priest pass by on the other side? Why did the Levite pass by on the other side? Why did the, the Samaritan stop and help? So many questions about neighboring are answered in this parable. So many applications. Uh, see, religious Pharisees 
Only do their neighboring to be seen of people. Jesus said, hey, if you're going to help the poor, don't do it just to be seen of people. That's not real neighboring. That's for show. In modern terms, that's a photo op. Yeah, the staffs of politicians are always looking for photo opportunities to make their candidate look strong or compassionate or authentic or stable or whatever it is. And Jesus doesn't want us to live for the photo op as we serve. And, and so the priests and Levite, they're like, yeah, there's nobody watching. Nothing to do here. And the priests and the Levite, yeah, we got to get to the temple. We got work to do. We got to get to church. We can't stop to help somebody. Uh, we can't become unclean uh, to help a, a person. We've got stuff to do. And uh, all these different things are factoring in to why they couldn't help. And the Samaritan set aside all of that and decided he could help. And uh, so Jesus wants us to live the Good Samaritan lifestyle, where we help those in need no matter who sees it. No matter what the outcome turns out to be, uh, we are to be neighbors to the socially connected and to the socially disconnected, the social outcasts. And we're to be neighbors to people from our tribe and culture and to the people from other tribes and other cultures. And uh, we're to be merciful to others because God has been merciful to us. No strings attached. Equal opportunity Blessers, as we talked about last week. Now, this brings us into the passage to uh, the, the answer to all of this, which is neighboring in faith. Neighboring in faith, the me God wants me to be. And we need to look at verse number 13 to get more of an understanding on this. He uh, says, For he shall have judgment without mercy, that has shown no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. And so if somebody has a need for food or clothing and you pull out the old, uh, well, man, I'm going to be praying for you line, uh, it's empty faith. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is not New Testament Christianity. It's just a religious facade. It's being a Christian in name only with no intention of actually serving God or serving others. And uh, look, we aren't saved just so we can sit. That's not what Jesus saved us for. We aren't saved so that we can sour uh, and just become more bitter over time. We're saved to serve. And uh, look, it's not my place to judge whether or not someone deserves the status of neighbor. It's my place to show mercy. And as you notice, the end of verse number 13 Mercy rejoices against judgment. God's mercy always wins. And when we love mercy for others, when we show mercy to others, 
That's when we're living out authentic faith. You remember what Jesus said, I was hungry, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked and you clothed me, sick and you visited me. In prison you came to me. The righteous will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison? And Jesus said, in as much as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. The least of these. That's our faith challenge. Jesus has called his children to serve humanity, especially the least of these, especially the least of these. Now, I know we got down to the bottom of your notes, and usually when you get to the bottom of your notes, that's when everybody know, wow, we're already done, but we're not done, okay? The, the main part of the sermon's still coming, so I'm just warning you, so don't get frustrated because we still got a long way to go. Now, we got to preach what the application is here. And the application is that, that we are called to actually serve our neighbors, uh, especially the least of these, the poor, the despised, the afflicted, the helpless. And if you have looked around this world lately, there are a lot of helpless people, a lot of helpless people. And in fact, they may look like normal people, and they're still helpless people. It says, I love what it says in Matthew 9, Jesus saw the multitudes, and he was moved with compassion because they fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. They looked normal, but they were helpless. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often would I have taken you and gathered you as chicks under my wings, uh, as a hen gathers her children under her wings, but you would not, because they were helpless. Uh, they were living uh, in blindness. They couldn't see. They were living as lost people who couldn't find their way. And yeah, there are a lot of helpless people in the world in which we live today. I know there's been somewhat of a panic, uh, especially this last week, because there's a, a virus with a name, COVID-19. Uh, coronavirus, and a worldwide deaths now approaching 4,000 people. And, a, you know, certainly we, we should do everything we can and wash your hands and be responsible. Uh, but did you know that 156,000 people on earth die every day? 156,000 people on earth die every day. 25,000 people a day die from hunger or malnutrition. And yet, there's not that much of a panic about it, is there? And it doesn't seem like it's a huge deal. It doesn't seem like we're really that worried about it. Uh, we're, we're too busy gathering water bottles and toilet paper down at the Costco. Right? I mean, it's, we kind of have this slight panic over what's going on. Uh, 3,000 people die in the world, 3,000 people die every day in auto accidents. And yet, we still have cars. And we haven't taken them away. Uh, almost 3,000 people a day die of AIDS just in Africa. Uh, close to 2,000 Americans die every day from heart disease. 
1,700 Americans die every day from cancer. And the truth is we all have an appointment with physical death. One way or the other. And if this one doesn't get you, this one's going to. No one's exempt. The actuary tables tell us that the death rate is still 100% for human beings. Nobody gets out of it. Brother Jack Calhoun made his transition to heaven this past Friday evening. And and, uh, his son and daughter-in-law were here at first service. And uh, Jack loved that guy. What a good old guy. Uh, But, you know, God's people are not called to worry or panic. Uh, We should do what we can to prevent any disease possible. But we're called to pray and to serve. We're called to bring light into darkness. We're called to help the helpless. And there are helpless people everywhere. And yet sometimes it doesn't come into our vision And this is what has struck me about kind of the panic thing that's happened last week or a week or so, uh, especially in certain cities. Some cities are like ghost towns right now. Um, One of the things that has struck me about it is this. If 25,000 people a day in the world die of malnutrition and there's not a panic about it, it must be because we're not worried about the people who have malnutrition. Sort of. Kind of think that. Um, and we are worried about people who could die of a virus because we're the people, which always goes back to this. We're more concerned about ourselves and people like us than we are about people who are not like us. And so this is exactly what our message is, right? Uh, If you see somebody coming down the street and they have a mask on this week, how, you, how neighborly you feeling, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, they, they may have it. Uh, or they may just be one of the people who bought masks early, and now they're selling them on eBay for a 1000 bucks a pop. Um, and, you know, we, we get into these things where we care about our class of people instead of other classes of people. And it, it happens naturally, and yet God has called us to care for the helpless. I was thinking the other day that there is no person more helpless on earth than a baby. Have you ever seen this? You put a baby down, right? A baby's born. You take the baby out and you set the baby down at McDonald's and say, okay, you know, eat up. Things are going to be good. I'll see you in a couple years. How's that going to work? It's not going to work. Somebody's got to care for the baby. The baby's helpless. Somebody's got to feed it and diaper it and clothe it and cover it. And yet, even though a baby can't live without a parent or a neighbor to, to help him, we live in this supposedly modern, advanced, compassionate nation And did you know that the most unsafe place for a baby to be is in his mother's womb? Almost 4 million people in the United States die every year. Close to 1 million of them die by abortion. Now, how is it possible that a one-day-old baby is a precious gift, the least of these that has to be cared for, 
But 24 hours before was just a woman's health issue. It's not possible. Jesus said, take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. And I believe the disregard that we hold for people who should be considered neighbors goes back to our societal treatment of the least of these, the people who are the most helpless. And yet, on the other side of the coin, how do we treat neighbors who feel differently about the issue of children in the womb than we do? Do we yell at them? Do we show hatred toward them? No, we show the value of life by valuing their lives, by letting them know that God has a purpose for their lives, that God loved them before they were ever born, that God planned for them even if their parents didn't, that God had a purpose for them from eternity past and cared deeply for them. And when they begin to understand the value of their own life, they understand the value of life for others. How do we do this? We, we have to love mercy because mercy wins. The truth is, if mercy doesn't win, we all lose. And so Jesus has called us to serve our neighbors, all of them, not to advance ourselves, not so others can see our good deeds. We're called to neighbor in faith. And, and that's the me God wants me to be. He's shaping me to be more like Jesus. And so the question is, how do we show mercy to the least of these this week? And, and the truth is, if you have an open heart for God to use you to serve your neighbors, uh, I guarantee you he's going to show you some ways to serve others this very week. And it begins with noticing the people who need help. Because a lot of times we're just like the priest and Levite. We're headed somewhere and we're not noticing. We're not really in tune with the needs of the people around us. We're just moving through life. And yet God wants to show us how we can serve more people than we've ever served before. And what our true calling in life is. Our true calling in life is always attached to eternity. Through helping the least of these. And so right now, as we bow in prayer, would you tell God that you're willing to serve your neighbors, but only tell them if you really are, and ask him to show you who your neighbors might be. God, would you work through us this week? We're your children. We're your hands and feet in this community. And yet so many times, because we're humans, because we're sinners, we neighbor up and we neighbor down. And we make choices about who we will serve and who we will bless. And I pray that you would help us to have the love of Jesus in our hearts. That we would be willing to serve whoever, wherever, however. And that you would guide us in that process that we might be your hands and feet in the community this week. And we'll thank you for all these things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, don't forget about the missions trip meeting. And don't forget to invite a friend. Two weeks from today is friend day. And I hope you'll have a friend sitting with you on that day. 
Great to see you out this morning. Uh, have a wonderful time change Sunday. Take a nap.